Good morning, and welcome to this edition of the Richard Urban Show, where we present news and views from God's point of view. We're very happy to have uh, Dave Miller on the show today. Um, he's running for Commissioner of Agriculture on the Democrat ticket in the primary uh, June 9th. So please introduce yourself. Tell us a little about yourself or your family or whatever you'd uh, like to share to introduce yourself. Okay, my name is Dave Miller and I live in uh, Preston County in a little town of Tunnelton. Uh, used to be a booming coal town and now it's uh, kind of dwindling away. But uh, I was born here and have had a, a really great career. I've uh, been thankful for that. Uh, I'm married, I have three children. Uh, uh, and uh, four grandchildren. Uh, I went to Fairmont State College. Then I got my master's degree from the University of Virginia. And I've been a teacher, a coach, a principal, director of personnel in the county here. Uh, I was in the House of Delegates. I was in the State Senate. Then I worked five years for Commissioner Gus Douglas uh, at the Department of Agriculture. And after that, uh, Commissioner Douglas said, I would like for you to be commissioner. But as you know, commissioner served for 44 years. And uh, I went on to do something else, uh, you know, before he retired. And that was, I worked at West Virginia University for President Hardesty and President Garrison, President Clemens, and uh, Interim McGraw. And I was a government relations person. And I uh, did all the work in Charleston for them, for their legislation and their budget and so forth like that. And then the last five years at WBU, I was the director of extension service for the state of West Virginia. And so uh, at that time I traveled the whole state of West Virginia because we had an office in every county. So I've been all over the state, uh, met a lot of great people and made a lot of friends uh, throughout the years. And I'd always wanted to run for commissioner of agriculture and this kind of presented itself as the best time for me to do that. And so that's uh, why uh, my wife and I sit down and we talked about it and said, well, maybe now is the time to do it before it's too late. So uh, that's why I'm in this race. Uh, I feel that I have a lot to offer for agriculture. I've been a farmer uh, for over 30 years. I have a farm now, we raise cattle and horses and uh, have some chickens and cats, <laughs> the typical farm uh, farm animals. Uh, so we're very much interested in agriculture. We, we uh, went to farmers markets for about 18, 19 years of selling our products. We have high tunnels. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're very much interested in creating a niche market for the people, uh, for the farmers to uh, sell their products and uh, to uh, make sure that our food supply for the people is safe. And that's what the Department of Agriculture is one of their duties, that's what they do. So we're very much interested in being a part of that. Okay, so um, yeah, you're outlining, I noticed on your website, you're talking about the, the niche markets. And so that's one of the main things you were emphasizing. Are there like other key points like you're emphasizing in your uh, platform or you know, as you're running? Yeah. Along with the niche markets, I think there's a, a place for the farm to table, uh, selling our products to uh, local people. I think the uh, 
uh, farm to school, you know, to have our schools buy more of the uh, farmers' products. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's very important now, especially since we've had this virus scare, that people see that maybe local farmers are a very important part to, to get our products and so forth from because maybe this global or united type of uh, supply that we have sometimes is not that dependable. And I'm a very strong supporter of uh, uh, having a label on the food as to where it comes from, uh, uh, origin of country of origin, because I think that we in the United States have a great opportunity to, to sell and uh, market our own products. So all those types of things to help the people and to help the farmers we're interested in. Okay, so right now, is the country of origin required? I notice sometimes you'll see on honey or whatever, product of Argentina or whatever, or it's not required. <laughs> it's not required. The USDA and the Congress took it off. It was on there, but it, they took it off. And now we're, those of us that support that are trying to fight to get the Congress and USDA to put it back on uh, the country of origin. That makes sense. We, what have, about the we have also, we, that's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to uh, ask. I know also, there's some. Uh, I've been there's uh, some some uh, farmers are requesting the uh, GMO labeling. Like, is it GMO or not? What do you think about that? Uh, yeah. Well, I think uh, you know the, uh, that's a genetic modified uh, type of product, and some people are totally against that because they think if you eat a lot of that food that come from a GMO product, then you may get sick or injury in some way. Uh, and then the other side is saying that, you know, it's not, it is safe and it will not hurt you. Uh, I'm at the point, we don't try to use that, uh, much of that of GMO. We try to be as natural as possible. The problem with being natural or organic, it takes a lot more work. Uh, it takes a lot of hand work uh, to get rid of weeds and, and so forth instead of spraying, you know, or plant, planting a Roundup ready corn where you don't have to, after the corn comes up, you can spray it with Roundup and get rid of the, the weeds and so forth. So I guess uh, basically we're for uh, not using too much of the GMO. Uh, sometimes the large farms, it's hard for them to get around that, you know, because they have so many acres and so forth. So I think you just have to be careful of what you eat. And, and I guess if you eat a lot of that stuff, then you, you, you could get sick or something, but uh, uh, it, it's a kind of a touchy situation. When we sold at the farmer's market, people would ask us, uh, your cows eat GMO corn. Well, if you buy corn ground up from a feed supply, you don't know if it really is or not, you know? Right. Uh, but if you raise your own, then you can be sure that it's not GMO. So we advocate that, that you try not to use as much of that as possible. Yeah, I was reading just, I noticed that there was some question about, because if you're using those things that it can contaminate the like organic farms and things like that, is that a problem? The GMO like seeds or whatever, I don't know, or if it's the Roundup itself or is that much is, is that a big issue in West Virginia? Is there, are there larger farms like that? There are some large farms and people that raise a lot of acres of corn that have to 
maybe do that uh, and where they where they would sell their corn, uh, they may not be asked if it's GMO or, or not. Uh, I'm saying if you raise 500, 800 acres of corn, then you're going to have trouble of not using something that you can't control the weeds and so forth. Okay. If you're smaller, then maybe you don't have to, to use that. All right. So, yeah, you know, with the niche, niche marketing, uh, I, I, I wondered like, so is that more like you mentioned the farmer's market? I know I had a friend here in Shepherdstown for many years. He's selling at the local farmer's market and did well with that. Is that like mainly the farmer's market? Or, well, you also mentioned other things like to the schools or could it be like small stores or markets or like, I guess what I'm asking is how would you develop that? What could the government do or maybe not do to promote that? I think that the uh, last uh, couple, yeah, a couple years ago, the legislature passed a uh, a bill that said that school systems will buy up to five percent of their uh, products from local farmers. Uh, so they didn't come out and say you will have to buy all your products from the from the farms, but they said you can buy five percent uh, of your budget for your food from the, the farms. The, there's a two-edged sword here. We'd like for the for everybody to buy from the local farmers, but the other catch is is having enough farmers to produce enough food that could supply the people all the time. Where I live up here on the mountain, it's kind of bad in the wintertime to raise vegetables unless you have high tunnels or greenhouses. So a lot of people have put in high tunnels and greenhouses to grow lettuce and, and cabbage and that type of material uh, products during the wintertime then they can sell to the school systems. But I think it's something that has to be really uh, pushed with the Department of Agriculture and with the uh, school system, the state uh, school system to get them to buy into buying these products. And I think they're doing more and more of that all the time. It seems like a win-win. Why wouldn't you buy from the local, local uh businesses that, that makes a lot of sense well that's what we're yeah that's what we're trying to do and uh, uh it's 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 kind of a a mindset of, of changing people's minds you know yeah well you know has the uh covid19 situation is that affecting uh farmers such as yourself very much or not You know, my life has been the same since it started. You know, I live on a hundred and some acres, so I don't have to be worried about people coming to to social distancing with me. But uh, a lot of people, you know, are differently. Farmers have been affected because they've having trouble maybe selling their products, uh, maybe selling, uh, a, a, a trucking their products to different places and so forth. But on the other side of that, I think it's a great opportunity for farmers now and for the to show the people how local products is much better than the than what they have to be shipped in from uh, other places. For example, now you probably heard about this that some of the large slaughterhouses in the Midwest have almost shut down because their employees are uh, off sick with the virus and so forth. So the supply of meat right. and supply of pork 
uh, chicken is way down. So I think now a lot of our small slaughterhouses in the state of West Virginia have really been busy because people are buying locally, having their meat butchered at the local uh, uh, slaughterhouses. Uh, some of our extension people have had uh, some hogs shipped in from the Midwest, hundreds of them at a time, and people are buying them and, uh, and do that. So it's been a bad for the farmers in some way because they can't sell their products or get them to market. But on the other side, it's been fairly good because they've been able to sell locally to people. I have three or four friends that have slaughterhouses and they can't keep up. I mean, okay. they just, they can't do it. And the farmers markets have all made adjustments that people can order online and they drive through and the people will hand them their package of what they ordered. So we've made adjustments uh, for that. And I'm the type of person I kind of look at, look at the bad things, but also I kind of like to look at the, maybe the positives that come out of it. And maybe this is a, a good chance, like I said before, for people to realize that buying local is good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have to check. I'm not sure about our local market here. It should normally be open now. I haven't been down there. See how they're operating. I mean, yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. So as far as the um, one thing, like our farm, like I noticed the USDA at the national level, you know, has these different subsidy programs. Like, are those a good idea or do they, do they have much effect or on uh, smaller farmers like yourself or how does that come into play? I guess I'm asking in West Virginia, is that something that's, has much effect? Is it good, bad, indifferent? Farm subsidies. Well, when I okay, when I went when I worked for the Department of Agriculture before we go to these meetings, uh, in uh, national meetings, state meetings, and so forth. And what I found out then was it was hard for the West Virginia farmer to get any subsidies because of how small we were. They, most of the subsidies went to the huge corn producers in the Midwest, went to the rice producers, went to the wheat producers, and the huge cattle producers out West. So it is a little bit difficult for West Virginia farmers to get help from these subsidies uh, uh, from the federal government because, just particularly because of our size, and they just kind of sometimes overlook us. And I think that's something we have to do is put an emphasis that it's not always the big farm that's the best. You know, it's a small family farm that uh, is important also. But it is tough for us to get the subsidies. Do you think they're needed or did it would be better to if there were less subsidies or it's case by case? <laughs> I, I think it's case by case. I don't totally believe in all the subsidies. I, I do believe in if there's uh, uh, crop insurance, if we have weather that wipes out your crops, if we have a disease that maybe insects or something that comes in and causes a huge problem with your crops or with your cattle or whatever, uh, that type of insurance or subsidy uh, probably would be good to help that farmer out. Uh, and uh, so it's, and it just depends, I think, as to how it really works and what the subsidy would be for. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know you're running against a couple of other people um, in the primary. 
how would you differentiate yourself? Would you care to like say how how you're different? You know, what would the what would that the voters would like to know that would make you different from the like other candidates, especially in the primary ticket? Well, I think my experience, uh, the things I've been able to do uh, in my career, plus uh, working with the Department of Agriculture for five years once before, to know the uh, know the ins and outs of how that how that department works. I think uh, my experience uh, with people. I mean, uh, I've been an administrator for for at least forty years, and I know I, I work with people. One of my big promotions is I'm a communicator. I like to talk to people. I like to meet them face to face. Uh, you know, not so much emails or text messages, but I like to talk to them. Or if I have a problem, I like to go sit down and, and talk to them. I think that sets me apart from a lot of other people because I'm not afraid to hear your suggestions or not afraid to. And that's one of the things I'm going to do is when, when, if I do get that far, I'm going to talk to all the people that work for the department, see what the problems are, what they think, and then go from there. Or I need to talk to the farmers also. I need to talk to the, uh, and when I talk about farmers, I'm not talking about cattle and chicken and hog people. I'm talking about vegetable growers. I'm talking about high tunnels. We even have urban farms now, people that are growing within the city where they have vacant lots and so forth. You're gonna see a huge surge in people wanting to grow a garden. And the problem with that's gonna be that people don't know how to grow a garden. You know, yeah, I have a garden. <laughs> put a plant in the ground. Of sorts. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but I think those things that I have been able to do to, uh, to be an administrator and to work with people, plus, my experience in jobs and being an administrator. You know, I was director of personnel uh, that was working with teachers and principals in uh, Preston County and working at the university with all the professors and so forth. So I think I have a, a pretty good knack of how to, to work with people and to, and to get things done. I think that will set me apart from the other people running for this office. Okay. Good. I think we got a good overview of your campaign. So, would you like to share like any anything else before we close? Like about just maybe um, summarize for the voters, like um, you know, to conclude, you know, before you know your qualifications or anything else you'd like to share. No, I I just think that that. Uh, in my career and still in my life today, I put the, the good Lord first, you know, my family second, and then the job would be third. I think that's the type of person I am. Uh, I'm a down-to-earth person. What you see is what you get. Uh, you may not like my looks, but I'm, that's what I am, you know. And, uh, and I always be the same. And I, I, I do have one thing that I always operate by, and I did this early on when I an elderly professor told me when I was becoming an administrator, he said, you always want to be firm, fair, and consistent in, in what you do. And I've always tried to do that. Uh, I may not be able to do what you want me to do, but I will listen and we'll see where we have to go because 
you'll very seldom ever see me write anything about I did this or I did that because I can't do it by myself. I need your help, you know, to get things done. Okay, uh, very, very true. I mean, that's, that's good. You know, that's, that's a good, uh, a good thing. The idea of a public servant, I think. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming right. on today. And, you know, we'll uh, definitely have this up on video and podcast and with other candidate interviews. Okay. I hope people will take the time and, you know, make an informed decision, you know, coming up on uh, June 9th. Well, thank you very much for having me. This is, uh, they've kind of put an end to all the other types of campaigning we could do. And we had to kind of resort to a lot of social media and different things and some in the newspaper and so forth. So I appreciate what you're doing. Okay. Well, th thank, thank you for being on. So I'm, I'm your uh, host, Richard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm your host, Richard Irwin, coming for Historic Harper's Ferry. We'll see you next time.